Join us for the reading of John 4, verses 4 through 15. And he had to pass through Samaria, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance uh, to come before your word. Thank you, God, for the way your word has already gone out so many ways uh, this week through so many great teachers uh, and leaders that have helped our children and our students to see your word for what it is and the truth and the glory that you show us through your word. God, I pray now uh, that this um, powerful story of your encounter with this woman in Samaria, God, would be um, alive to us in such a way that we see it with fresh eyes, whether it's a familiar story to us uh, or a new one. God, may we come to it in a way that you uh, can transform us, that you would open our hearts to see you for who you are and give praise to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. It really was a great week this week as we uh, celebrated and, and enjoyed all that Camp Kidfinity was. And if you were here uh, or just remember from last week, we told you that this week we focused on all kinds of water passages. So we started with Noah, uh, with somebody floating on the water, and then we went to Moses in the Red Sea, people walking through water. The last night was Jesus and Peter walking on the water. Uh, but this, this passage, John 4, what we did on Tuesday night, is a little bit different because we're talking about not being on it or through it, but the water we drink, the water coming in us. This is the passage I got to teach on Tuesday night, and uh, really we enjoyed enjoyed doing it. And the way that we uh, helped our kids understand what this was like is we, we gathered as many, uh, a bunch of different size containers of water, uh, and we, we stacked them all up over here. And uh, just like the woman would have had to do when she came to the well every day, these kids were carrying everything from a small water bottle to big five-gallon buckets of 40 pounds of water all the way around the sanctuary to see what it was, would have been like uh, to carry water. And, and part of the reason we did that is that along with our, our missions effort for the week is we talked about how we, we take it for granted in so many ways that we all uh, have access to water pretty, pretty readily. Either your sink or maybe your refrigerator or, or something else. Uh, we take it for granted that we can have access to clean water. But many places around the world today were much, are much more like biblical times where they had to travel, they had to journey, they had to work to have access to water. 
And so our story in John 4 really connected, connects with a lot of things that are going on. Our children saw videos this week uh, from children in Nepal and Cambodia and Sudan and other places who have to walk a pretty great distance to get, a, to get clean water, and sometimes it's not all that clean. And so in Bible times, like, like we studied this week, many times they had to come to something like we've built here, a well to get water. This week we try to imagine what that was like as we carried that and all that that would have come with all the, the extra effort that would take to, to quench your thirst. All, all the work that would have gone in only to then have to come back the next day and the next day and the next day over and over again. And that physical thirst, that physical desire, that's about as, about as fundamental to being human. I mean, all of us thirst. We, we, even if we have access to water, we multiple times a day have to keep coming back to drinking water. And so Jesus, in our passage today, takes that very fundamental, simple, human trait of thirsting and connects that to a much deeper level. Physical thirst is not the only desire we have. Beyond just our physical desires like hunger and thirst, we have deep human longings for, for things that, that are beyond just the physical, don't we? We have this innate desire for, for meaningful human connections, connections with other people that are beyond just surface level, but deep, meaningful relationships. We have a desire to, to make a, a difference in the world, don't we? We have a desire to have an impact to, to something that outlives us, to, to impact the world in such a way that, that it's better than when we came. We have a desire to be accepted. We have a desire to be loved. We have a desire to be known and to be valued and treasured. We have a desire to, to get rid of past hurts, to, to, to make them go away somehow, for somehow that to be healed. We have a desire for rest, true meaningful, lasting rest. God has put these desires in our hearts. And C.S. Lewis famously said, you know, I, for all these different things, all these desires I have, some of the desires I have, they can't be met in this world. So I must be made for another world. I must be made for another world. We have deep longings in our hearts that, that may not seem as urgent as a physical thirst. Like if you don't get water today or tomorrow or the next day, you're in trouble. Sometimes our, our deeper longings, we don't feel like they're as urgent. But they are more important than our physical thirst. That's what Jesus is getting at when he starts talking to a woman at a well in John chapter 4. The passage starts with talking about being thirsty, but it goes a lot deeper than that. Deep in your own hearts, do you know the desires you have? Have you, have you processed that? Are you, are you self-aware enough to know the things that you truly long for? Because whether, whether you can name them or not, we're all chasing, uh, 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 trying to satisfy our deepest desires. The way we spend our time, the way we spend our effort, the energy we put into things, we are all trying to satisfy some thirst. Can you, can you name those thirsts? Can you, can you articulate, this, this is what I'm chasing and this is why I'm chasing it, and this is what I'm turning to to satisfy it. Can you describe your desires, the thirsts that you have, and can you, can you be able to point to, can you point to what it is you're depending upon to satisfy those desires? Our passage in John 4 starts with somebody who is thirsty, and it's none other than the Son of God Himself. John 4, 6 tells us that Jesus, who had been traveling from Judea in the south around Jerusalem up to the north in Galilee, 
went through an area called Samaria and he was wearied, is the word we read. He was wearied. Can you imagine this? The Son of God, the one who has eternally existed and took on flesh, came and humbled himself to the point that he would get tired and be thirsty. That's where we start and so we can relate to where Jesus was. It was the sixth hour is what the, the way the ESV literally translates that. The way they measured time, that'd be noon. So this is high noon and it is hot and we can relate to that in the middle of our days right now. And verse 7 introduces somebody else who is also thirsty, a woman from Samaria who came to that very well to draw water. But like all of us, she has longings, desires, thirsts that are deeper than just the physical desire for water. Jesus began a conversation with her about physical thirst as a way that he could start diving into the deeper things, the deeper desires that he has. But because of the culture of that day, just the fact that Jesus starts a conversation was a monumental uh, action for him to take. In John 4, 7-9, we read the way this catches her off guard. It says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then in, in ESV puts in parentheses after this, John is, is helping us that may not know the culture. He helps us understand. He says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So for Jesus to even start a conversation here was, was revolutionary. Was, was, the woman is totally caught off guard by this. She points out all the layers of reasons why this shouldn't be happening. First and foremost, he's a man, she's a woman. They just don't talk in public back in those days. This was, this was, uh, there's nothing in this that is um, anyway hints at, at romance or anything that's immoral and impure at all, but there is a, a, a kind of a cultural norm that you just don't do this. Men and women just didn't talk like this in public. So that's one level that Jesus is crossing. The other one that, he, that she points out is she knows he's Jewish, and she's Samaritan. These are two different ethnic groups. This is, these people just did not deal with one another. The Jews saw the Samaritans as unclean. The Samaritans didn't like the Jews for the way they were treated. This is way worse than Clemson and Carolina. This is way worse than Democrats and Republicans. Okay, maybe not that bad, but you know what I mean. It was bad. It was bad. They didn't like hanging out with each other. These were not, not uh, friends. So what is Jesus doing? Why would Jesus, a Jewish man, be speaking to a woman from Samaria? Jesus is showing that he came to meet our deepest need, which is a relationship with God himself. That's what Jesus is coming to do. And he was willing to overcome any obstacle between us and that relationship. That's why he came to Samaria that day. So the first thing I want you to see in this passage is that Jesus crosses barriers to have a relationship with us. Jesus crosses barriers to have a relationship with us. To the woman at the well, she imagined that her ethnicity and her gender together would, would separate her from this man, though she didn't know who he was yet. And yet, Jesus is overcoming both of those. Jesus was big enough, strong enough, compassionate enough, loving enough to not let either one of those things separate him from her. He was willing to overcome those barriers. Jesus leads the way in ruling out sexism or racism of any kind or any kind of ethnic superiority. There's no place for that. 
in Christianity, we know that God has created us all in His image. And yet, from not far after people are created, people begin to delineate themselves and separate themselves out as, I'm better than you, you're better than me, etc. And Jesus says, no, no, He is crossing all those barriers and say, no gender, no ethnicity, no language, no skin color, none of that is going to keep you from being able to have access to Jesus. Jesus gets on her level and brings her up to his level. He does not look down on her, but he crosses the barrier. He initiates the conversation, initiates a connection, initiates a relationship with this woman that will transform her life, will transform her life. He doesn't look down, but he loves her. He loves her instead. It's no, it's no mere happenstance that Jesus was at this well this day. You read uh, the, uh, just a little bit earlier in John 4 where it says he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria. Now, that had to, is, is the, the original word is it was necessary. And that it is necessary or had to was not to say that there were no other paths between Jerusalem and Galilee. That was a common path, but there were other common paths. But Jesus said he had to go through Samaria. And why did he have to go? Because he knew she was going to be there. He had a divine appointment with her. He showed up to be able to love this woman and speak to her. In the Bible, we see the way that God is, is, is crossing barriers. He's coming into our lives. He's, he's coming. He has an appointment so that we can have a relationship with him. Just the chapter before this, Jesus encountered, has an encounter with a man named Nicodemus who was a Pharisee, a ruler, and a teacher of the Jews. And John, throughout John's gospel, you can track these powerful kind of one-on-one conversations. And when you put them together, you see some pretty amazing. John 3, Jesus is talking to uh, a religious insider, kind of the elites of the society. The guys that, the guy, the Pharisee and a ruler, he would have been kind of the, the most inside circle religiously. Everybody looked up to him. One chapter later, he's out in the middle of Samaria, a place that, People didn't, like kind of a God-forsaken area to the Jews, hanging out with a woman with a bad reputation. Jesus is saying he came for all kinds of people. He came for all kinds of people. Society may put you at this level or this level or over there, over here. Jesus says, I'm crossing all those barriers to come to you to offer a relationship. So no matter where you are, where you've been, what you look like, what you talk like, what your history is, Jesus says, I'm crossing all those barriers. None of those things is too big to keep Jesus from coming to you. He's crossing those barriers to offer you a relationship. A connection we made this week at Camp Kidfinity is the night before we studied this passage is when Lori and Wanda led us through the, the crossing of the Red Sea. And they rightfully pointed out, uh, it's from Exodus 12, 37, that when Moses and the Israelites crossed the Red Sea, it says there were about 600,000 men on foot besides women and children. So we estimate somewhere around 2 million people Crossed the Red Sea that day. I mean, just imagine. I mean, that's people for as far as you can see, right? I can't, I can't picture two million people. But there's this incredible salvation story where God brings an entire nation out of Egypt and brings them through, through, to salvation through the waters on dry land. What an incredible picture of his salvation for the masses. And then the very next day, we talked about Jesus and one person. One person. It is glorious. It is spectacular to look at the way that God saves the nations. God saves the masses. God brings all kinds of people from all kinds of ways and brings them in big groups so that they can know Him. And it's incredible to see the way that God cares about each and every one. He's willing to go all the way through Samaria 
to sit down at a well at noon to meet with one person. Jesus is the good shepherd who cares for the 99 and takes the time to go after the one. He loves us that much. Do you know that's how God sees you? Do you know that God wants you to be a part of a church family? He wants you to be a part of the masses. He wants you to be a part of this group of people that we call Christians to be a part of his kingdom. But he doesn't just see you as one of the, the whole bunch. He doesn't just see the forest. He sees the trees. He doesn't just see the masses. He sees you and he knows your name. He knows your name. He knew your name before your parents knew your name. I told the kids that this week. That, they scratched their head a little bit on that one. But it's true. He has known us before the foundation of the world. And he knew exactly where you're going to be today. Amber and I were talking this week about how true this is for us with our kids. We, we love doing things, uh, all five of us together, just a family unit. We love being able to go and, and just have our whole family together. But you know, there's also some really special times when we do things one-on-one. We had a, a one day this week, uh, I forget why exactly it worked out. Lydia and Micah, I think we're taking showers or something, and, and I, I needed to take Rufus for a walk. And so Lois and I went for a walk. Just, just I don't know, it was 10, 15 minutes, just me. Lois and the dog. And I tell you, this has been a great week. That was one of my favorite moments all week. Just me and one of my kids. There's something so uniquely powerful about one-on-one time. And do you hear the good news? Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, He wants that with you. He wants that kind of relationship, one-on-one with you. That's why He had to go to Samaria. That's why he had to go meet this woman because he wanted her to know and he wanted all of us to know as we read her story that he cares about his people, his children, that way. Jesus eagerly crosses barriers to have a relationship with you. I know that in the 2,000 years since Jesus had this moment, we probably don't have the same, we don't have the same views of, of, of gender, at least I hope. that we, we know that that doesn't separate, women aren't separated from Jesus. We, we hopefully know that. Ethnicity, maybe we're not quite as good at sometimes, but, but maybe we don't have the same issues going on that she had. But we probably put some other barriers and we say, this, this would keep me from Jesus. Maybe it's a past. Maybe it's guilt. Maybe it's shame. Maybe it's hurts you have, scars you have, bad habits you have. And you say, this is going to separate me from Jesus. Here's the barrier that keeps me from having a relationship with the Lord. I know he's good, but here's what I am. Or I know he does this, but, but here's the thing that keeps me. You can put anything you want in that category, and I'm going to tell you, Jesus is bigger than that. And he can cross that barrier. He can cross whatever wall you put up because he loves us that much. And he wants a relationship with you. Truth be told, we are all unworthy of Christ. This is not about our being worthy. But Jesus crosses that barrier, too, of our worthiness, our lack of worthiness, to have a relationship with us. In the story of the woman at the well in John 4, this, if you've known this story, you, you, this probably isn't new to you. I'm not the first person. This is not a revolutionary observation, but it's worth reiterating if you, didn't already, if you already know this. It's high noon. It's high noon at a well. And even our young kids this week, as I asked them about this, said, if you had to draw water every day for your family from a well, when would you go? You would not go at the middle of day. You would go early or you would go late when it's not quite so hot. And would you go by yourself? And all the kids say, no, we'd take my mom, my friend, my dog. They all had somebody they wanted to talk to. You, know, you, would never, you would never want to go in the middle of the day, and you would never want to go by yourself. 
As the conversation with Jesus progresses, Jesus tells her in verse 18 that he knows her story. He knows her story. He knows that she has had five husbands and that the man with she, that she's with now is not her husband. She's on her sixth guy. She's got a reputation. She's an outcast from her society. All the other women would have come in the morning or the evening. They would have come together. They'd have done this as a community. And yet here she is, alone, by herself, at a well in the middle of the day. Like physical thirst is just the surface level need, she, uh, her, her gender and her ethnicity are just the surface level barriers between her and Jesus. Because the reality is she starts with those. She talks about being female and him male. She talks about her being Samaritan and, and uh, him being Jew, Jewish. But she knows the barriers between him and her, the Messiah that she'll see, are much bigger than just those surface level things. Can you imagine the baggage that this woman is carrying? We want to be careful not to make any assumptions. We don't get a lot of her story. We don't want to paint her in something she's not. We aren't told why she's on her sixth man. But the fact that she's out there by noon by herself and the way that Jesus brings it up as a way of diving into her life, we can, we can safely understand this is a sore subject. This is a sore subject for her. She is not happy about this. And probably what's going on in her life is that she is living in a miserable combination of being both treated really badly and making some really bad decisions. Probably both of those things are at play here. It's probably not just one. We probably shouldn't just look at this woman and say, she should have just gotten her life together. Or we shouldn't look at her and say, it's not, none of it's her fault. She was just abused by a bad society. It's probably both. Probably both. She's probably made some bad decisions, and she's been treated very poorly. This woman is probably carrying around some baggage of guilt, and not just guilt, but shame. You know the difference between the two? Guilt is, I've done something bad. Shame is, I am something bad. And this woman's probably carrying both. She has been dealing with being an outcast for the last six men, at least five or whatever it may be, and this is becoming part of her identity. She is out there at noon by herself, and she's got some pretty high walls between her and Jesus that are not just surface-level things like gender or ethnicity. Even more remarkable than Jesus being willing to cross the things like her, her being female and the different coming from different societies is the fact that Jesus knew these things about her and went to her anyway. How powerful is that? Jesus knew these things before she showed up, before he showed up, and he had to go to Samaria anyway. He had to go and meet her. I wonder if you and I are aware not just of the, the physical barriers or the whatever else may be going on, but are we aware of the, the deep baggage we all carry that we let become a barrier between us and God? Do you, do you know the baggage that you carry? Are you aware enough of the baggage? That you, maybe you've got some, some past guilt, some past hurt, some ways you've been hurt by somebody, some bad decisions you've made, and some combination of it has led to guilt and or shame. And as you carry that, you say, this, I, I know, but th this, this is what separates me from God. It's still true that there is no barrier too high for God to cross for him to build a relationship with you. Jesus came to the Nicodemuses of the world and he came to the women of the well of the world. And to accept this relationship, we have to turn away from the lesser things and accept what Christ offers to us. Jesus continues with the idea of physical thirst to make a very important point. John 4, 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew 
the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And again, he says there in verse 13, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Everybody who drinks this physical water will be thirsty again. As we grow more and more aware of our deep longings and the barriers and things we carry, we need to hear Jesus' warning. Jesus warns us of water that leaves us thirsty. Jesus warns us of water that leaves us thirsty. He's using a very simple reality, a very simple image for us. We all know you drink water, a few hours later you are thirsty again. It may quench your thirst for a time, but it is not permanent. You have to keep coming back. That's the way our thirst works. And so often on the deeper levels, on the, on the, on the things that are our heart level, soul level desires, we treat them like physical thirst. We come to things that only last for a short while, and we ask those things to quench our deep thirsts. There are things that we turn to thinking this will satisfy us, and yet we continue to get thirsty time and time again. For the woman at the well, what, what must her fourth marriage have been like? Just imagine what that had been like for her after three times of failing, leaving, whatever else was going on. When she gets to her fourth one, can you imagine the hopes that she would have? So, you know, this one, this is going to be the one. This, it's all the stuff that is bad has happened before. This is, this is the one. And then it fails. And so does the next one. Just imagine her coming again and again saying, I, I want this to work. And it doesn't work again and again. There's water that we can drink that in the end only leaves us more thirsty. If we're asking for something to accomplish, it's something it can't do. When it comes to the deepest longings of your, of your heart, where do you turn for satisfaction? Where do you turn to be truly, deeply satisfied? What water do you, do you drink to try to quench your thirst for meaningful human relationships, for deep connections with people, to be known and to, be, and to know others? Where do you turn? What We have a desire to make a difference in the world, to make an impact, to be significant. What do you drink to try to be significant? What is it you turn to to say, this, this is what makes me important in the world? We have a longing to be accepted and to be valued. Where, where do you look to say, this is why I'm accepted. This is why I have value. This is what gives me purpose in the world. What is it you look to? What longings? Do, we all have a longing to get rid of, of pain and find True rest. Where do you get rid of pain? How do you make the pain go away? How do you make the pain stop? What do you look to to bring true Sabbath rest? Maybe you turn to unhealthy things, substances, pornography, bad relationships, immoral ways of making money or breaking the law. Maybe, maybe you seek pleasure or, or, or material gain in, in ways that are unhealthy and just leaves you craving more and more of those things. We, we see those habits and many times we can name those. But maybe you turn to good things and you try to make them ultimate things. You turn to good relationships. You turn to your, to your job, to your career, to your spouse, your children, material possessions, all things that are gift from the Lord. But instead of just enjoying them as gifts, you ask those things to quench the deep soul level thirst you have in your heart. And we're asking them to be something they cannot be. And so they just leave us thirsty all the more. If we're asking any of those things to be our purpose for living, if we're asking any of those things to be the thing that makes us matter in the world, to make us significant, to make us have joy and peace, it's not that there's something wrong with them. 
It's wrong with what we're asking of them. They can't do it. It's a burden they can't carry. It's not because your kids are bad. Well, you know, I mean, we all are a little bit, you know. But it's just that they're not meant to carry that burden. They're not meant to carry that burden. It's like drinking coffee and expecting it to quench your thirst. You know this about coffee, right? It's a diuretic. It makes you less hydrated than when you drink it. You have le- your body is less hydrated after you drink coffee. I love coffee. I drink lots of coffee. I don't depend on coffee to quench my thirst. I depend on it to get me going in the morning. We drink coffee for the caffeine, not for the hydration. If we ask any good thing in our life to be our savior, it can't do it. It's not because there's something wrong with it necessarily. It's just it wasn't built to be that. That's not its job. It does not have that capacity. But so often, the things around us, we ask to quench the deepest soul-level thirst we have. Water is a metaphor all through the Bible that I love, have loved looking at all kinds of different ways. One of my favorite is in Jeremiah chapter 2, where God calls out His people for the way they use their, their cravings, or the way that He compares their cravings to building cisterns for themselves, things that would catch water. And He says, all the cisterns you have are broken, and they don't really hold water. We, we, we build these things for ourselves and say, this will satisfy me. This job, this marriage, this home, this house, this, this career, this financial status, this retirement plan, this new lake house, whatever it is, this is going to bring soul-level satisfaction. And the truth is, it's a wall, it's a well, it's a cistern with a big crack in it. The water goes right through it. It will not satisfy you. So often we think we can handle our own thirst we can manage it, we can do what we need to do, and this, this will make the thirst go away. It may feel like it quenches it for a while, but in the end it only makes us more thirsty. The reality is we can't quench our, quench our own thirst. We're not capable of it. Everything we drink will just a few hours later be thirsty once again. Jesus offers a different way. He calls it in verse 10, living water which in the original times would have been a little bit confusing because the way they used living water is more what we would say running water. By living water, they mean water that's not stagnant, like in a well. Water that is moving, like a spring or a river. Jesus says, I know where there's some living water. And you can imagine the woman's excitement. You mean I don't have to come to this well every day? You mean I don't have to keep digging down in here? I don't have to keep pouring sweat? I don't have to keep coming out here at noon? There's a better place that's moving water? That's what she thinks he's offering. She's skeptical, but then she says in verse 12, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and livestock. And then Jesus says this in 13 and 14, Everyone who drinks of this water, the water from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. It's the alternative to turning to all those other things of the world and asking it to quench our thirst is to turn to the Lord. And whoever drinks of the water Jesus gives will never be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water Jesus gives will never be thirsty again. Jesus offers us today the same thing that he offered the woman at the well. There is a way that your deep soul level thirst, the things that you desire most in the world, that that thirst can be quenched for good permanently, forever, for eternity. And it only comes by knowing 
Jesus. We start to understand what Jesus means just a little bit later in verse 23 when he tells this woman that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And then we later understand in John a little more clearly when he says in John 7, 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. There it is, Jesus, all the time in the Bible, all these water images. What's it mean? Well, John tells us, verse 39, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. So when Jesus offered living water, what he's offering us is that the spirit of God, God's Spirit Himself would come and live in us. That's what He's offering us. He is offering us salvation. He's offering us an eternal relationship with the God who created the world. In the beginning, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. The Spirit was right there with the water at the very beginning, and that Spirit becomes in you a living water when you put your faith in Jesus. By the Holy Spirit, we can have a personal relationship, a unique relationship where God knows your name and you know His and you're walking with Him. And that is a fountain that will never run dry. Everything else we try to base our lives on will not last. But this fountain will never run dry. Our relationship with Him is the only thing that can truly, deeply satisfy our Souls. That's what Jesus was telling us in John 4, 14. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, a spring, a flowing water, welling up to eternal life. It's a relationship that we can have that lasts forever. Every other relationship is, in, this, in the sense of this world, is temporary. We will see Christians in heaven, but it will be a changed relationship. With Jesus, your relationship now lasts forever, forever, and starts today. It's the only relationship that can truly satisfy. This encounter with Jesus at the, that he has with this woman at the well in Samaria has really interesting connections back to the Old Testament. If you start going reading the, through the Old Testament, you keep finding men and women meeting at wells. And you're like, what's, what's going on here? You can go to Genesis 24 where Abraham's servant goes on behalf of Abraham's son Isaac and he meets a woman at a well named Rebekah. Genesis 29, a man named Jacob meets a woman named Rachel, guess where? At a well. Exodus chapter 2, Moses meets a woman named Zipporah at a well. In all three cases, the same pattern happens. Someone journeys from a long way away, from a foreign country, and this man meets a woman at a well. Someone draws water from the well. The woman hurries back home to bring news of this visitor. The visitor uh, stays with the woman's family, and there's this mention of a meal and then the two parties are joined together. All three times, that's what happens. And so you come to John chapter 4, and you're like, wait, I've, I've heard this story before. This sounds a lot like what we read back in Genesis and Exodus. But if you know those stories, all those stories end in a marriage. And there's nothing in this story that sounds like Jesus and the woman of the well, they're going to get married. So what's, what's going on? Jesus, of course, knew those Old Testament stories. John, as he recorded this, knew the Old Testament stories. God's sovereign over all this. So what's going on here? Clearly, Jesus and the woman of Samaria are not getting married. What's going on is that Jesus is offering a different kind of union that, that isn't marriage but has a lot in common with marriage. Jesus told, her, uh, told this woman, a woman of poor reputation, a woman that's an outsider in her own society, within a society that as a whole is an outcast from the Jewish society. He's told her 
You can be a true, genuine worshiper of God by the Spirit and in truth. You can know God. You can have an eternal relationship with God. He's offering to her an eternal covenant that mirrors marriage. And he's not, this is not the only place that these things are connected. Ephesians 5, 31, 32, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Our relationship with Jesus is like a marriage, but it's even more beautiful, even more wonderful, because it is permanent. It is eternal. When Jesus meets the woman at the well in Samaria, he's offering her something better than marriage, an eternal relationship with God. That's what Jesus came to offer. John 4, 25, 26, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. The, woman, the woman's getting a hint. She's like, okay, you're, you're getting close. You told me about my past. I understand what's going on a little bit here, but there's, there's a Messiah. I know he's going to be the one that solves this. That's the one we're waiting on. And Jesus, verse 26, says, I who speak to you am he. And there's no perfect way to bring this into English, but what Jesus literally says is ego me," which is I am, which is the same thing that God gave as his name to Moses in the burning bush. He says to her, I am. I am who I am. I am the God who was there with Moses, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the Messiah. And that's the turning, moment, turning point for the woman at the well. That's where she stops arguing. That's where she stops complaining and pushing back. She, this is her moment where she says, oh, this really is the one. Up to that point, she'd been kind of pushing back, but now she believes. And how do you know she believes? This is one of my favorite little details in the whole story. Verse 28, the woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that ever I did. Why would she leave her jar? She came out at noon, has already filled him up. Why would she leave her jar if this is the whole reason she came? She, came, she, she can leave the jar because her thirst has already been quenched. She has met the Savior of the world who has offered her living water. And so she doesn't need the jar anymore. She doesn't need it. She's not going to turn to the things anymore that just leave her thirsty. She instead has an eternal relationship with the Savior of the world. If your thirst has been quenched, you can leave behind your jars. And if your thirst has been quenched, you can share the living water with others. This woman, who would not be seen with other people, didn't want to be around them, wasn't going to be there at the well early in the morning, wasn't going to be there well early at night, or late at night. She was coming at the noon so she could just avoid all people. That same woman leaves the well and goes to all the people and says, come and see, come and see. Immediate evangelism. Immediately sharing the good news that she has just heard because she met the great I am. She met the Savior of the world. She met the one that quenched her deepest longings, her deepest thirsts. And she says, you got to see this. you got to see this. She drank of the water that Jesus offered, and she was never thirsty again. I pray that you would do the same. Drink of this water. There's nothing else that will satisfy you. There are good gifts that God gives us for us to light in and enjoy and praise Him for, but they are not our Savior. Christ alone is, and He's offering a relationship. He's offering across any barrier, any obstacle, any guilt, any shame, 
so that you can know him, you can drink of his waters, and you can be satisfied forever and never be thirsty again.